on your path, O my God, and not my own. Be all my journeying. Rule this heart of mine, that it be only yours. We look for solitude. In solitude, we learn to grow and love, to grow in love for God, to grow in love for others. Christ's cross, what I carry, my own struggle forget. Christ's death, what I ponder, my own death remember. Christ's agony, what I embrace, my love to God make warmer. The love of Christ, what I feel, my own love awaken. Ooh, there's a lot more of you here. I sat down, there were three of you here. Um, welcome to chapel. Um, yes, I am very tired. Um, my, uh, I had to take my wife to the hospital last night. Everything's fine. But it, we were there for a long time. And so I was sitting there trying to finish this up uh, until my computer got to 7%. Um, but there is... Uh, um, I have no idea what I'm saying. Um, there's going to be a lot of that today, so bear with me. The Lord will speak to you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I did want to start, though. Uh, we'll start with a quick prayer, and then um, we're going to start off with a little bit of an exercise that I, I think will be um, edifying for both of us. So join me in a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I do thank you that... Um, we were able to go last night, my wife and I, and get her checked out and to know that things are fine. I thank you that we have that access and that it's not something we have to think about a whole lot. I thank you for the people that are here that took the time to come and hear your words through me. And I just pray that you will uh, sustain me for the next little bit and um, give me your words. And if you want to speak directly to their heart and bypass me, then... Uh, you know, that's okay too. So I just thank you for this time. Uh, bless this time. It is holy. And I uh, pray this in your son's mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So our topic today, class. That class was over. No. It's not credit though, I'm sorry. Um, is hope. And I thought we would start off by reminding ourselves what that means for us. Now, this would normally, I suppose, be at the end of the sermon, but why do that? Um, and uh, I have um, a, a list of what God accomplishes in each of his children, I guess is the way to explain it. And I would invite you to repeat after me um, in unison so we can remind ourselves and be reminded of all that God has done in us. So... Here we go. Oh, that's not it. Oh yeah, that was another version of the sermon. Never mind. <laughs> I am chosen. I am set apart. I am a child of God. I am a temple of God. I am God's workmanship. I am seated with Christ. I am justified by Christ's blood. I am dearly loved. I am reunited with God. 
I am secure in him and his love. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am given direct access to God through prayer. I am a member of the Lord's body. I belong to the Lord. I am completely forgiven. I am debt free. I am not condemned. I have been cleansed. I have been given eternal life. I am complete. I have been healed by his wounds. I am newly born of imperishable seed. I have been made perfect. I am alive in Jesus Christ. He will complete the good work he has begun in me. Thank you. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. So, going back to that first slide, which apparently was out of order for me, uh, we are asked to give a reason for the hope that's in us. Hope is an interesting concept. It's defined in um, the dictionary as feeling, uh, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Uh, we need hope to survive. Uh, hope is an extremely powerful thing. It's why if you're a dictator, you try and snuff it out. Because hope is a flame that can be set ablaze Um, Hope can incite protest, it can incite revolution. The lack of hope, when humans lose all hope, can sometimes lead people to end their life. Political campaigns try to convince us that they are the hope. People turn to many things for hope. There are many symbols. It can be a picture, a song, a person, a photo... Um, I've traveled to the U.S., the U.K., to Newfoundland. Wait, that's not another Canada. Um, and while they're very similar to Canada, they're obviously not Canada. You just always have a sense when you're away that it's not quite home. You can walk in, you have some of the same stores, they have some of the same stuff, they have money that sort of looks the same, but without colors. Um, but you just know it's not, and so when you maybe fly home or you drive home and you cross the border, one of the first things they always make sure you see is that country's flag. They want to know you to know for sure what country you're in. And a flag has no real authority. The flag's not going to come down and cover you up. It's, nothing's going to happen. But the symbolism that's attached to a flag can mean different things to different people. You might also see, you know, you've got the hospital sign, 911. We'll talk in depth about Apollo 11. It's right over there on the thing. Um, so when I come home and I cross the border and I see the Canadian flag, 
It's always a welcome symbol because it makes me feel like I know where I am. I know what the rules are. I know, where the, I know how to travel around. I just feel like I don't have to think about things as much. On the other hand, say during wartime, you could fall asleep under the Polish flag and wake up under the Nazi flag. And that tells you as a symbol, something's changed. The rules are no longer the same. You don't know what's going to happen day to day anymore. And yet, at the same time, there will be people who see a symbol that you find hopeful and they find not. So different symbols can mean different things to different people. Um, we're talking about Apollo 11 because I am a geek and it took me 10 hours to build that thing. Uh, and because Saturday is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Um, about a decade after JFK set the mission, we landed on the moon. In fact, today is the anniversary of the launch. Um, they're already out of Earth's orbit and on their way. And while we remember the space race as being largely a political matter between U.S. or really the Western world and Russia, it became a symbol for the world of what humans could accomplish if they set their mind to it. Remember that we got to the moon with computers nowhere near as powerful as what's in your pocket right now. But it was this great symbol of what we could achieve together. As we heard in the readings, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in the, um, um, in the ascension, he left behind an indelible symbol of hope. Um, something great to act on his behalf and spread his message of hope to the people of the earth. He left us. Hooray. Thanks. Great. So he left the church. Not, as we know, a building of stone and glass, although this is one heck of a place to meet. But he left us the church, the collection of people of his followers that in scripture he describes as the pillar and foundation of truth. No small responsibility. However, we must remember that while we are the pillar and foundation of truth, we are not the source and creator of that truth. We are bound. That still rests with God. Our job is to steward his love to a hurting world, and this should put us in a position of humility, not of lording over people. And as the Gospel of Luke says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, for those of you who are here, I'm sure you all remember my sermon from two years ago. No? All right. Uh, the idea of that sermon was to remind us that we are not just the church today. We are pointed to carry on a tradition that started when Jesus founded the church and all those people that came before us, all the saints that came before us. In fact, I have a picture of uh, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, oh, well, there's Waldo. Um, the church assembled scripture the church stewarded scripture. The church is the reason we have scripture. We have so many Bibles, sometimes in our home. Don't get me started on how many English translations we have. We have so many Bibles in our homes that we forget what a privilege that is 
And how many people had to die for us to get that? It's been written, assembled, and stewarded and protected. And it is the church that is God's primary instrument for symbolizing, speaking to, and speaking his hope to the world. And I just want to outline some brief areas, some four quick sketches of things where the church can speak to, I think. Uh, One is, speaking of this chapel, beauty. Uh, Dostoevsky, in his book, the, the work, The Idiot, said beauty will save the world. I don't care what he really meant, I'm just going to stop there. Sounds good. Beauty will save the world. Uh, This chapel is stunning and designed for one purpose, to draw us into God and bring him glory. Everything in here has a symbol, or has a symbolic meaning, whether it's the stations of the cross, the emblems in the stained glass, the Christograms around the back of the chapel. Everything here is meant to engage as many senses as possible. Now, love and beauty are misunderstood these days. Um, we see this clearly in, for instance, the proliferation of pornography. Pope John Paul II uh, said, you know, the problem with porn isn't that it shows too much. The problem is that it shows too little. And what he meant that is if you're lusting after someone, all you're looking at is one dimension of who that person is. You're not seeing them as a whole person. And you are, in fact, degrading yourself. You're not living up to what he made you to be. Consider communion. In Corinthians, Paul reminds us, For I received from the Lord what I also handed to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion as love, as you often hear. I was at a a, a Christian wedding on Sunday. Uh, If any of you remember Nicolette, Nicolette's married. Yay! And all the single men went, boo! Um, uh, And we often remind ourselves that it is the self-donation, is the self-giving of yourself to your spouse. So love says, as communion says, this is my body given for you. Lust says, this is your body taken by me. So spreading beauty and love. Mercy, not condemnation. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This passage, which I love, how practical it is, is... um, the Catholic Church calls them the, the corporal, corporal works of mercy, which I really appreciate because it's a lot easier to say corporal works of mercy than to say, you know, that passage where it says this and this and this and this. 
And then the person goes, oh yes, I know that passage where it says this and this and this and this. So the corporal works of mercy, which are looking after material needs, and then you have the spiritual works of mercy. So the corporal works to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to shelter the homeless, to visit the sick, to visit the imprisoned, to ransom the captive, and to bury the dead. This is the work of the church. And the spiritual works instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, admonish the sinners, bear patiently those who wrong us, forgive offenses, comfort the afflicted, and pray. Ooh, five slides. Sometimes I think it's, we overcomplicate what the mission of the church is, and certainly in this world, in a post-Christendom context, it can be difficult, but there are parts of scripture that are very, very clear about what we need to do. And sometimes I wonder if we just stuck to what we're directly commanded to do, people might have a different impression of us. Exploration, not isolation. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that, of course, you will all know is called the Great Commission. We are a sent people. We are not to gather in the church, close the doors, and never leave. Primarily because there are no washrooms in this chapel. But also because that is not the purpose of God. The church is one of the only membership-driven organizations that does not exist for its members. Our mission is to come, learn, be equipped, and then go. Now, of course, as Jesus himself would um, observe, uh, demonstrate, there are times, of course, where we do withdraw into church, into a prayer room, into somewhere to get away and to pray. And of course, in the greater scheme of the mission, we will all have our own individual roles. So for instance, at church, my wife is the prayer coordinator. She prays a lot. She's not the one necessarily out in the community greeting people. But the church as a whole is a sent people. We are to go. If we are staying in one place too long, we need to examine why that is. And finally, my favorite, because it's the one I really need to hear, is prayer, not worry. First John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. From Matthew, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you be worrying about, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? 
And I would say conversely, by worrying, you may take an hour off your life. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I am predisposed to anxiety, and so it's worth mentioning. Um, I don't know if there's any counseling faculty here, but it's worth mentioning that this verse is not talking in regards to mental health issues. If someone has a significant mental health issue that they need treatment for, throwing a Bible verse at them and telling them not to worry isn't going to help them much. And unfortunately, I've had that happen to me. It doesn't help. But for those of us who are simply anxious, and we have lots in this world to be anxious about, there's a lot going on that we don't understand that we do, as individuals do not have control over. And so being anxious, it's okay. It's not like you don't have a reason. But when you feel anxious, throw that to God. Pray about it. Get others to pray for you. And if we stay in the scriptures and if we continually pray, if that is part of our rhythm of life, then we may just see our anxieties melt away. Now we are still, even though we have been clothed in righteousness and made perfect, we are here and now still imperfectly perfect. So it's okay to feel anxious when certain things happen. If your kid's supposed to be home at 7 o'clock and it's midnight, oh, everything's fine, don't worry. I don't need to call anybody. It's, it's fine. He'll come home. It's okay. God gave us these instincts. But we need to remember to pray. We need to allow... When, you know, when people... Um, it's, it sounds weird to say my old job. It's only been a month. In my previous position here, um, people would call up and, 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 and they'd have this anxiety about applying to the uh, wonderful, amazing, world-class first in the province BED program that we have. Um, and I say, well, I don't know if you're going to get in. But I do know that if you don't apply, that I can tell you for certain, we will probably not randomly call you. So you have to give us a chance. If you apply, you're giving us a chance to say yes. If we pray, we're giving a chance to God to do great things in us that he has already begun. So don't forget to pray. Sounds simple. I don't think we can hear it enough. Now, I wanted to, uh, final words, I'll say something after this, but I just think this is really cool. Um, the, the, the moon mission that landed on the moon was Apollo 11. Prior to that was Apollo, I believe it was Apollo 8, that went all the way to the moon, went around the moon, and then went home. NASA was very deliberate in doing things in stages. They were up there on Christmas Eve, and unbeknownst to anyone, um, they had a message for the people back on Earth. And I thought... 
you might want to hear it. It's a little grainy. Give him a break. It was coming from 300,000 miles away. This was in like the 60s, so this is pretty impressive. Um, listen to this and we'll... we'll from space. That's pretty cool. So that was a little hard to hear, but that was the three astronauts on Apollo 8 reading from Genesis. I mean, that's freaking cool. Later on, uh, different astronauts would also serve each other communion in space. So that's all I got. Battery was dying in the hospital. It's... Will you please stand? May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace. Amen.